me to Acts chapter 3. How many are familiar with Acts chapter 3? Raise your hand. Okay, pinch your neighbor and tell them to wake up. Okay, if your neighbor didn't bring their Bible, look at them judgmentally. No, I'm just joking. Just kidding. Just kidding. Stop it. Stop it. It was just a joke. That was for free. Acts chapter 3. It says here in verse 1, now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour of prayer. Someone say prayer. Come on now. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that was called the beautiful gate, to ask for money from those entering the temple. Seeing that Peter and John were about to go into the temple, he asked, could I receive alms? From you? And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his eyes or his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I have to give, what I have to give, I give to you. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, rise. We see a story here in Acts chapter 3 in the first four or five verses of a paraplegic man who is brought to the temple gates daily. From birth, the Bible says that this man was crippled. And what his family or what his friends would do is essentially kind of like you drop your kids off at school to go to school, if you have kids, they would drop their friend at the gates of the church to beg for money. Now, that's always good. I love that we can give our finances to the poor, to the needy. We can help, even as Kathy mentioned earlier, different organizations financially, it's always good. But up until this point, it seems as though this, or giving money to this beggar, was all the church could do. It's very interesting because it kind of, I think, in type and shadow, feels like the church today. Where all we have to give as a church, not Hilltop, but just the church and Cambridge and global, globally speaking, is money to the world's sickness and the world's problem, of which is a kind gesture. But here in Acts chapter 3, God is going to change the name of the game. In Acts chapter 3, Jesus has a plan to show his strength in power, might I add, through weak, uneducated, common men. You can put your name in the story if you want. I know maybe there are some, maybe Harvard grads here, MIT. It doesn't matter. The school of the kingdom is a whole other school friend. And so we can insert our names here in the book. Because Jesus saw to it in Acts chapter 3 to manifest his glory, his power, through his people. And you know what the the thing is about this story, and the thing is about the New Testament, we see a God that is mainly interested in his glory. We see a God who is mainly about himself being glorified in the earth. 
Now, there are many people like Oprah, Brad Pitt, and others who have got caught up with those statements. But you will never be able to skate around the fact, scripturally, that God is about himself being glorified in the earth. No matter if you find that to be narcissistic or prideful, the Bible answers that question very clear, is that when God is glorified, we are satisfied. That's what John Piper says. The more satisfied we are in God, the more glorified he is. And so you can wrestle with the thought of God wanting to be glorified, but this, in my observation of the New Testament, is primarily, not only, but primarily why God chooses in Acts chapter 2 to clothe the church with power. It's, it's not unto us getting bigger stages and bigger platforms, although that sometimes happens. How many are just tired of celebrity Christianity? Raise your hand. I'm so tired of it. But yet, that's sometimes, that's sometimes what happens when God moves through an individual. But we must settle on the fact that we pursue God's power, that we, like Paul suggested, Pursue earnestly God's power, not because we want to be glorified, but we want God to be glorified. Have you ever tried to hear somebody glorify God without the Spirit of God on their words? I've done it. I'm, I, I, mean, I, I can throw myself under the bus. It's no fun. It is, it is largely disinteresting, and, and you can't wait to get out of the meeting, right? This is why God gave us His Spirit to pursue, so that in pursuing his spirit or his power, for lack of better words, we can show God well in the earth. We can glorify God well in the earth. Now that may come across like an arrogant statement, but I'm settled in this. Listen, friends, I am absolutely comfortable in my own skin I, I will not lose sleep if you find me to be power hungry. The truth is, let me just say this. I am power hungry. Now, I'm not, I'm not hungry to just power, manipulate, and lord over people. I am mainly interested with the Lord clothing me with power so that every opportunity I get to preach the gospel, to lay my hands on somebody, to pray in a prayer room, to go out in the streets and preach the gospel... I need God's power on my life or else it does not make sense. Church does not make sense without God's power. That's a loose statement because there is more than just God's power of why we attend church. But, but here, don't expect me to drive three nails at one time. I'm driving one nail, okay? So I'm not going to try to bring balance to everything. You, you look at it. Was John the Baptist considered a, 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 much of a balanced person? The Jesus that you profess faith in, does he look like a balanced person in the scripture? No, he's a wild man. I love that the church is so needy of context. How about this for context? Jesus' parting words to his disciples, go to Jerusalem, wait in the upper room for the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. See you later. The ch- you g- How about that for context? I got Jesus. Ah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. 
In rock star fashion, Jesus ascends into heavens with those parting words. Why are we so worried about context? Uh, let's shoot after it. It's, it's important, but you can overlie, you can over-contextualize, excuse me, the story of God's word, where you get to the point, you render it powerless and effective. Sometimes you just like, Jesus have to be like, go to Jerusalem, wait in the upper room, my Holy Spirit's coming upon you, see you later. <laughs> God will work out those details. I'm on a bunny trail, but God is interested in clothing his church with power mainly because he wants to be glorified. And I don't know if you know what the disciples looked like prior to the book of Acts. Do you, do you, I mean, like Judas, let's take for an example. Okay, Let's talk about effective ministry. <laughs> when you lose somebody and your own posse, that's stealing from you. How about that for Jesus? How about that for Jesus' leadership? Go, Jesus. By all means, as a leader, Jesus probably would fail massively. But prior to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, man, this group was messy. This group was weak. This group, dare I say, was even a bit pathetic. They had a couple, you know, home runs, but they missed a lot too. But now Peter is clothed with power. Can I say this, that this is not Peter and John's first time encountering this lame, crippled man. The Bible says in Acts chapter 3 that he was dropped daily off at the temple gates to beg for money from birth. Now, who knows? I mean, I don't know if that's like two years old. That's, I mean, that's pretty lucrative, I think, if you have a two, two-year-old crippled person out there. <laughs> give me money. I mean, I'd be like, come with me. What do you want? I'll give you anything. I took that maybe a little far, but whatever. Um, you can email me later. Uh, so this guy is dropped off daily. They know him. Peter and John know him. Matter of fact, everybody who went to the temple to worship, to pray, and to discuss scripture probably saw this guy regularly. Who knows? The Bible doesn't say, but Peter might have even thrown some of his own money towards him. But this day... Peter has something different to offer the lame, crippled man. Because God's power is on Peter. Whew, I don't know. That sounds like a good way to do ministry. <laughs> the living Jesus in Acts chapter 2 did something in Peter. Peter was asked for money, and he says, silver and gold, I have not this time, my friend. But what I have, I give to you. What Peter meant by those words, I think in verse 4 of Acts chapter 3 is, today I have been given something special. Jesus in Matthew 10 said, listen, the best way that you can meet both the spiritual and the practical needs of the lost is to go out healing the sick, raising the dead, cleansing leopards, and casting out demons. And here he puts a little disclosure on the end. He says, you have received without paying. Now give without pay. Man, 
I think the church is holding on to this, these things called the gifts of the Spirit. We can't go through Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2 and realize that from Joel's perspective, from Ezekiel's perspective, and Isaiah's perspective, is that the Holy Spirit was going to be poured out, not just for the disciples, but the end time church. Friend, in Peter just announcing in Acts chapter 2 that the last days are upon us, listen, has Christ come back yet? I know that we've already been through nine uh, uh, second comings. If you look at some of the, you know, have you ever seen like on telephone poles, Christ is coming back this day, June 22nd, 1989. Am I the only one? Am I showing my age? But I know that for some, we've already lived through like nine raptures, but Christ has not come. So that puts in my mind that these things we call the gifts of the spirit exist for us to take advantage, to lay hold of, to move in, to have joy with, and preach the gospel with. That sounds like a good church. Sign me up. I'd like to go there. So Peter says, I have something special to give to you, my friend. I knew just a couple days ago, I gave you some silver, but boy, whoa, Jesus did something just a day ago, let me pray for you. Or better yet, it's not even prayer. It's get up. <laughs> God, who, who, who doesn't want to do ministry like that? You will never begin to do ministry like that if you continually put under a basket the light that Christ has placed in you. You will, you will throw money at the problem. You will reason with demons. Matter of fact, you will pray rather than commanding. Peter stands up, get up. I don't know if he did it like that. That's why I would have been. I would have been sweating. Hey, rise. Oh my God. You know, I would have been astonished. So Jesus told them in Matthew 10, go. And heal. You know that the disciples were never going to be able to do that apart from the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You, that's why you see so many hits and miss, misses in the gospel. Where sometimes they're casting out demons, other times they're like, we don't know what to do, Jesus. <laughs> Just kick the can down the road, give it to you, you'll figure it out. Praise the Lord. But we'll never be able, the disciples would never be able to do this kind of ministry that, Matthew, that in Matthew 10, Jesus prescribes without the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And friend, neither can you and me. Neither can you and me. But, but I think almost 90% of the struggle is realizing that we actually have the indwelling spirit fueling works that glorify God. That's, I, I want to I be that type of Christian. Sign me up, Jesus. You know, something that's interesting here in Acts chapter 3 is that Peter seems to be the one that's fueled with faith for this man to rise. Why is that different? Because in the Gospels, Jesus was moved with compassion, wasn't he? Often, Jesus would heal somebody or cast a demon out. Well, I don't know about a demon but heal somebody in accordance to their faith. Yes, there were times when he, uh, he did it to 
kind of manifest his power and build others' faith. But for the majority of time in the Gospels, Jesus did it in accordance to faith. This is not that. This should be a kind of hint for us as the New Testament church. This just should show us something that, well, A, we are to have faith for these things. Now, now we're not even going to set the bar high for how much faith we have. Jesus said, faith as small as a mustard seed can move mountains. Friend, Jesus, he has set the bar so high for what we can do because we have the indwelling spirit, but has set the bar so low for how we can do it. (laughs) I only need faith as small as a mustard seed? I think I could do that. I think I can do that. And with the testimony of Christ in Scripture, man, it builds my faith even more. Meaning when I read stories like this, when I hear Jesus say, hey, listen, guys, you will do greater things than I have done. Something wells up inside. Does it well up inside of you? It should. It's there for a reason. It's there for your observation. It's there to provoke you and to get your mind asking itself, Why aren't we seeing this in the church? I'm not mad. I'm actually very happy. A guy, and I know I'm yelling a lot, but please give me grace. I I put that disclosure. I think I've been called Hitler one time. It's it's no lie. It's no lie. But um, I'm just excited about God. I love Scripture. Do you know, and I said this before, but you know that some of the people who are in awe of the ministry of Jesus or the ministry of Paul or Peter or whatnot is that these guys had boldness in them, which I would, I would, I would tend to think that maybe that was a rare commodity uh, in the New Testament. Like maybe there was a lot of meek and mild people who were just like, hey, how you doing? But, but not that, that there's a problem with that. I have those days. I'm like that myself. I'm, I'm all, I'm, I'm, it's funny, I have, I'm, extroverted, I'm introverted, I'm upperverted, lower, I don't know, I'm just <laughs> twisted around. I'm everything to everybody at all times, but. <laughs> but they marveled mainly because these guys would step into a room in, in, you know, before judges and before Sadducees and the hierarchies of the church and the priest and the high priest, they would stand with boldness. And they probably most likely raised raised their voices, which was uncommon in Christ's day. I don't know why I put that disclosure, but maybe I'm just making an excuse for myself. But here we go on. We're going to now look at the connection between the wonder in the word. The wonder in the word. I don't know if you see a sequence in the first, not the first, uh, uh, chapter 2 of Acts and chapter 3 of Acts. But we see a, a sequence where God moves in power and one of his apostles start preaching the word. They don't deviate and start pontificating. Is that a right word? Thank you. I knew it was, but it just... They don't start adding to the gospel. They start sharing God's word. It, it, there's, a, there's an interesting trend in the body of Christ today, especially in charismatics, that rails me. It almost forces me not to want to associate with charismatics. Is they 
do a good job at pursuing the power of God, speaking about the power of God, prophecy this, the Holy Spirit that, you know, the seven-eyed lamb, the sea of glass, they've got it all the language, right? That mainly sometimes you're just like, what in the world are they talking about? They do a good job at the language. They do a terrible job, I think, about staying true to the text. I said it. I said it. You can email me later. You can leave the church. But I'm saying it. We have not done a good job at studying the scripture. Because somehow we think because we have the Holy Spirit, we don't need the word. Kind of Nonsense is that nonsense. Absolutely heretical. Your walk in Christ will become heresy if when you're moving in the power of God, you're not adhering to the word of God. Never once did you find Peter, Paul, or anyone else, even Christ, deviate from Scripture. It's somehow, some way, in charismatic circles, we think because the power of God's working through us, we can butcher scripture. Pfft. Nonsense is that. I'm driving this nail for a reason. Some of you have the gift of God, but your theology is whack. The gift of God is without repentance, friend. You can be as prideful and arrogant as you want, you can go to the club on Friday and church on Sunday, and God will move through you. It matters not. But where the church really starts to move in power, the full presentation of Jesus is when she adheres, when she adores the scripture. She doesn't become religious. A lot of us have built this, this kind of mindset that if we give ourselves to the scripture, we're going to become religious. Not if you water it, if you, if you balance it with the Spirit. Know the Word. My people perish for lack of knowledge. The knowledge of Jesus will cover the earth as the waters cover the seas. Do you notice that when I, uh, Isaiah, no, who said the knowledge? He- Hezekiah, Habakkuk. When he said that, that guy in the Old Testament, when he said that, he did not say revelation will cover the earth. He did not say prophecy will cover the earth. Uh. A lot of people think they're a, they're, they're, a, they're a voice for God, but they're just really echoes. Notice he doesn't say healing will cover the earth. No, he says the knowledge of who I am. Friend, where are you going to get that knowledge from? Sitting in your room and say, God, speak to me. There has been people who have done that. And they have been led in such heresy because of it. And they have created other doctrines, other religions because of that. Friend, adhere to the word. Don't neglect it. Don't neglect it. And don't think just because you have a gift to do such and such that it can replace that. It cannot. It becomes more attractive for the church to move in power knowing God's word. I love that. And the truth, there's balance here. There's some people that are just so heady when it comes to this thing. And this is nothing new in the church. Jesus in the gospel said to the Sadducees and the Pharisees, you do not know the spirit nor the truth. And and can I just make a public declaration this morning? 
I feel that that is an indictment against the church today. It's either we emphasize one over the other or we neglect one because we don't want to read. We find it boring. Friend, the word of God is not boring. You're boring. And if you just get yourself around this book, man, it will break that boredom up. It's a bit of a tangent, but the word and the wonder, there's always a connection. There's always this sequence of God moving in power and then the word of God being preached. And Peter doesn't add. He doesn't come up with some kind of new revelation. He, 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 you know, that sh- and, and this is why the apostles spent a lot of time in like the book of Hebrews and others, uh, New Testament scripture, confronting where people went in error when they had a gift or they had the gifts. Think of the church of Corinth. He would address these things uh, because they were so gifted, they excelled in these gifts. Corinth was like the epicenter of charismaticdom. I just made, made it a word, but I'm sticking with that. I don't know what else to call it. But they were like the epicenter. You know what? They were abusing the gifts of God. That's why, that's why Paul said, hey, listen. Yeah, tongues are great. But tongues without love, you just, you know, you just discredit the gospel. You discredit that work. These guys were hard hammering people. You may think I'm a bit of a hard hammer, but it's the only way I know how to communicate. But anyways, they're hard hammering people. They're manipulating. You know what's remarkable? In verse, chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, Paul doesn't, he doesn't get all wigged out about it. He actually, in chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, tells them to earnestly pursue the gifts of God. Earnestly pursue. Here's a people who are missing it massively. But Paul doesn't say, stop. You're just totally taking this way too far. Stop prophesying. Stop speaking in tongues. Stop it. Stop it. You cannot handle it. He, He doesn't. He tells these wild Corinthians to pursue earnestly the gifts of God. Listen. Jesus himself told his disciples that if they weren't going to believe in him on account of his words, that they should believe in him because of the works he does. I think Jesus is okay with some people getting a little stupid in their theology and their attempts of pursuing the gifts of God's spirit. But you know what we do? The flip side of this quarter is we tend to demonize things we don't understand. And when somebody does it wrong or I've just felt it. I felt like that wasn't God. Well, at least that person is earnestly pressing in to the gifts of God's spirit. It's not always going to be pretty. It's not always going to be clean. You're going to find some things distasteful. But you should just celebrate in the fact that you're surrounded by friends that actually have some risk in them to want to step out and move towards pursuing and laying hold of gifts. So there's a relationship. There is a inseparable, noticeable connection between the wonder and the word in both Acts chapter 3 and chapter 2. The relationship performed in Acts chapter 3 verse 6 and the word preached in 3.11. You can go back there for your own entertainment. But essentially, this tells me that the wonder or the wonders, the miracle Miracles of God attracts the crowd to hear. 
That's, that's, the, that's kind of like the sequence we see in Acts chapter 2 and 3. I'm trying to keep it all together in the scripture. But that's the sequence of events that we see that God moved in power, and all of a sudden the disciples found, whoa, where did all these people come from? Whoa, they're here. Let's preach the word. Let's preach the word. So the wonder attracts the crowd in 311, and the wonder also attests to the living truth of the exalted Jesus preached in the word of God or by words from the apostles. Not just because of this, no, the, the sequence of numbers, but that's why I believe in Acts chapter 3.16 follows, is followed up, or, or precedes 15, where when, or after I should say, Peter says, rise to the slain man, he goes into preaching these things. He said, you killed, as the crowd gathered. He said, much like Acts chapter 2, he said, you killed the author of life. Now he's preaching the gospel. You put him on the cross. And then he goes, but God raised him. See the gospel? And it's by his name, by faith that is in his name, that Peter did this wonder and preached so persuasively. You know that some theologians estimate that another 2,000 people were gathered or brought in, if you would, to salvation in Acts chapter 2 after Peter preached this word. So in my kind of just tallying those numbers from Acts chapter 2 to Acts chapter 3 now, you're talking about 5,000 people being added to the church in just a couple days. You should implement that in your ministry Mission statement. We need to learn from these guys and lay hold of the same Christ that they're laying hold to in the Acts of the Apostle. In other words, the wonder is the powerful pointer to the truth that Jesus is alive and that he is all that Peter says he is with his words. You got to use words to preach the gospel. I love what John Piper says. He said, the gospel needs to be preached with words. Ain't nobody getting saved because you throw money at them. Ain't nobody getting saved because you bring them a cup of soup. The gospel takes words. It's to be declared. The wonders simply attract and bring in the fish. And then we're obligated to preach the gospel. The gospel the gospel, not another gospel. So my observation, the wonder of this lame man whom is crippled from birth powerfully points to the truth. As Peter says about Jesus as he preached, that Jesus is the servant of the Lord. You can find this in Acts chapter 3. It's important just to see that he does not deviate. He does not change the message that he is the servant of the Lord, that Jesus was glorified by God, that Jesus is the holy and righteous one and the author of life. So as a result, and we're going to speed it up here because I'm going long. I'm not doing that bad, but I'm going to speed it up, okay? As a result of what begins to happen in Acts chapter 3, with the healing of this man, the crowd is rushing in to see what's going on. The buzz is just, in the temple, is just 
It's buzzing. It's, it's, it's alive. People are like, oh, my God, this guy. I know that guy. He's for years been begging. They're, they're rallying. They're rallying. Peter preaches the gospel. An estimated 2,000 people come to salvation and follow, become followers of Christ. The church is in a massive uproar because there's two things that you don't do at this time in history. You don't mention Jesus. You understand that just some time ago, they put this Jesus on the cross. They killed this Jesus, meaning the high priest of that temple, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the people in that church killed Christ. So you don't mention Christ, but here they are boldly. I I would like to say that Peter and John know exactly what they're doing and also know the consequences of what they're doing. But they're preaching Christ. You don't do that just some days after his crucifixion. Secondly, you do not talk about the resurrection of Christ. You understand, guys, that in the Gospels, they tried to hide and lie about the resurrection of Christ. They tried to cover it up and make up a story that is, it's a bunch of stories, actually, they made up. But one of them is that their disciples came in the middle of the night, you know, as the guards were sleeping, they moved the rock and stole Jesus' body. And so there's two things you don't do amongst or say amongst the religious elite. You don't talk about Jesus, and you don't talk about Christ's resurrection and bearing witness to that resurrection. The gospel. I love the gospel. The charismatic church should fall in love with the gospel and preach the gospel, not another word, but the gospel. So they get arrested because the church doesn't know what to do with them. Maybe the high priests were off getting coffee or crumpets or something with each other. I don't know, but they were disinterested at the time. So they put him in a cell overnight. They put him in a cell. The next day, they they decide to deal with it. We're actually in Acts chapter 4 now. Peter and John are brought before the high court, the high priest and uh, Sadducees of the temple. They're explaining the detail, and essentially, these high priests are confused on what to do. But you know two things that they give witness, and you can read this, I think, in verse 6 of chapter 4. Don't put it up there, please, because I don't know if it's right. They, just look at it, it's in there. These high priests say, you know, we don't know what to do with these guys. These, these are the words that they say, kind of like Acts chapter 2, when these guys are talking, and the disciples are speaking with tongues and other languages. They're kind of like, who are these drunkards? Well, in Acts chapter 4, they're like, these guys are uncommon. They're, I'm sorry, they're common. They're uneducated. What do we do? But they give witness. They say this. It is evident that they've been with Christ. <laughs> That's in verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. You know the church's biggest problem in 2017 is the world can't clearly discern that they've been with Jesus. You want a difference to happen in church? Go be with Christ. Don't just think about it in theory. Do it indeed. Oh, you will become very attractive you will become a voice for Jesus. So they witnessed these two things, these uncommon, uneducated Galileans, but they've been with Jesus. So they don't know what to do with them. Essentially, they let them go. You gotta understand, these guys, through the preaching of Peter's word in Acts chapter three, thousands were provoked and persuaded to the gospel. 
Talk about a war brewing in the temple (laughs) of all places, in the church. And so anyways, fast track. They're let go. Peter and John go to a prayer meeting. You may think, what is the point of a prayer meeting after God moving in such power through their lives? I don't know about you, but in my fallen mind, I'd be like, I don't need to pray. Do you see what God did through me? Where's my apostle card? Let's make a Facebook story of this. See if it might grow the church. They let him go. They go to a prayer meeting. Peter and John start praying with a group of uncommon, uneducated people. And they're praying, essentially, that the gospel would go forth with power. And that God would do what he did, much or much like he did in this crippled man. They were essentially praying that God would orchestrate orchestrate and bring together scenarios and situations where both the bold proclamation of his gospel could go forth in signs and wonders. That's why I pray continually in the prayer room. I'm not content with just this and that, that miracle, that thing, or that moving in power, or that bold testimony of Christ. I'm concerned primarily about just getting before God and saying, Lord, that was yesterday. This is today. Move through me. Oh, that you might be glorified. Wasn't that Moses' declaration in Numbers 11? Oh, that all would prophesy. That all would move in the power of God. That's, That's Numbers 11 after Josiah rails on Moses and trying to take control of Joshua, excuse me, of trying to take control of these two wild men outside the tent prophesying over people. Moses' resolve is, Oh, that all God's people would prophesy. Guys, that should be the cry of our heart. You ask me if I'm, I'm power hungry, me not. You may think it. Let me just answer that question in your mind. I am. I'm very much into displaying God's power so that God is glorified. And friends, you should too. You should too. The biggest, I think, Indictment against the church today is that we have taken a basket and put it under the light that we possess called Jesus. And we have to take that basket off, friend. It is not enough that you go day and day to your coworkers and never share Christ. You may be disgruntled. You may not like the way that you've seen it done in the past. That's okay. Don't do it that way. But just do it. Just do it. You have maybe have uh, been fighting in your campuses not to share the, the gospel. Do it. I'm not saying being a wild man, but open your mouths and, and trust God. Trust God. Now, there is balance to this message, guys. There's balance to me saying I'm a power-hungry man. I'm power. I'm hungry for the power of Jesus being manifested through my life. There's balance to that. But let's not be so balanced that we become watered down and fruitless. I want to get before Christ and I, said, I want to say, God, I was faithful for what you gave me. I was fruitful and I multiplied myself. Not just in this church, in the world. Let's take the basket off and let our light in good works, works, shine before 
Oh man, oh man, it's time. Yes, we'll continue to pray that the Holy Spirit moves in power, but let's not use that to excuse why we're not taking chances and risks to move in God's power. Father, I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you. I thank you for the Holy Spirit. I want to learn, God, how to move in, live, and have my being in the Holy Spirit. And I imagine, Lord, that's more than just me getting on with life. Lord, you have given me the Holy Spirit as helper, as comforter. You have clothed me with the Holy Spirit in power so that I might know how to get on with effective, fruitful ministry that glorifies God. You know, I wanted to do something last Sunday in closing. You can keep your eyes bowed, but just through the sequence of events at the end of service, I was unable to. But I'd like to do it for this service. I'm going to invite Will up just to come and give us some of that music that you do so brilliantly. I, wanna, I just want to engage the heavens a little bit with my faith. This is what I want to do. I want to open the altar this morning, but for specific reasons. I actually felt like last week that there might be pain in somebody's body that maybe Jesus wants to eradicate. That you may be fighting something medically that your brothers and sisters in Christ have no idea about. I don't think it's enough just to not, not risk things. If God has given us such extraordinary promises, oh, we should, we should move in them. And so I want to open this altar call for the sick. If you need a miracle in your body, if, if you need the power of God to touch you, to do what no physician can do, to do what no doctor can do, what no medicine prescribed can do, I want to pray for you. I, I want to trust that the God of the book of Acts is the same God that we serve this morning, that his hand is not short to save and to touch, but he is always willing, oh, that all would prophesy, move in my power. If you have sickness in your body, I want to pray for you. 